Blah, 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 blah. Blah, 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 blah. Microphones of madness. In a world where darkness lies around every corner, an unlikely band of heroes will join together to stave off the darkness. Can you survive Lovecraft Country? Hey, everybody. Microphones of Madness. I'm Rodney. Over there, Steve. Hey. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Somebody requested movie trailer voice, so I had to do movie trailer voice. That's pretty awesome. Well, that sums up the book. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. We are talking Matt Ruff's Lovecraft Country. Um, it is uh, in production to become a television series produced by uh, Jordan Peele and J.J. Abrams. Lens flare country. <laughs> <laughs> there were, I'm sure. I'm, I, you know, I don't know if he's actually going to be directing anything. Or you have like the darling of of the industry right now with Peele, and like the most reviled man of two franchises. <laughs> That's right. It's like, hey, man, you know, <laughs> what's next for J.J. Abrams? I'm coming for Doctor Who. It should be an interesting series. <laughs> but we're not here to talk, speculate about a series. We're here to talk That's about right. an actual physical book. That's right. And uh, this is this is this was a, an interesting book. Um, it's not highbrow literature. It is no, not at all. I mean, it, it is really page. It's page turning pulp in that classic tradition. Yes, as a matter of fact, it pays homage to just about every subgenre of pulp, um, aside from like detective fiction. Mm-hmm. There's you know there's a little bit of there's a little bit of crime fiction going on here, but it's more more toward the 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 noir side where everyone's a villain. Um, yeah. Of course, you know you have the ghost story and and the typical Lovecraft adventure, and you know, I mean, all the elements are here. Yeah, and, and you have that's, like space space planet stories and mm-hmm. little. You shout have out like a tales here. from the. You have like even like a tales from the crypt kind of like horror story with kids. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a little bit of everything here, um, and, and really, Lovecraft Country is not only kind of a love letter to genre fiction. It, it's it's also a pretty accurate examination of race in the 1950s. I mean, you have it's, it's a somewhat accurate, somewhat I'll well. Say. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll I'll, I'll give you we'll somewhat. That later. We'll get into the the problematics of its depiction of race in a little bit. Okay. And it just has to do with authenticity of voice. That's all. Well, I mean, we are talking about a white man writing African American characters. That's what I was thinking of. <laughs> Hell, let's just jump right into that. I mean, that's one of the the right. main talking points of the book when the show was announced was was that it 
its depiction of, of, of race in the 1950s. Yes. And, and I think, you know, having not um, lived in the 1950s, but only experienced it through um, the media mm-hmm. um, and not, not being black myself, um, it, you know, it's hard to, to know how authentic the voice is. Um, obviously it's enough that, that um, Jordan Peele is interested in the project. Right. But, um, you know, there's people who, think and, but that, you know, you know, Jordan Peele's in the, interested in the project, you know, that that voice is going to become even more authentic. Right. And, and, and yeah, I'm just wondering if, uh, if it's going to, to maintain what it is for the HBO project. Um, you know, there's, there's people that we know have said that, you know, this all stemmed just to backtrack a little from a blog that somebody had written that was criticizing this book, um, for not depicting African, not having a true African American voice. Isn't that what she said? Um, more or less. It's what she tried to say. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, uh, one of our, our friends, Milton Davis pointed out that, uh, well, the guy's not black. <laughs> right. So if you were expecting a, a, you know, an authentic black voice to, to be telling these stories, you don't have it. Right. You have, you have the filter. And to me, the, the book kind of came across that way mm-hmm. that it was, and I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it, it, it was, uh, it would be like if I were trying to, to, make up a scenario, a Call of Cthulhu scenario set in the fifties with primary, primarily black antagonists right, or protagonists. Um, I, I would come up with something that I think would be, you know, good. Um, but would it be an accurate reflection? Probably not. Well, I mean, you know, you're not going to get an accurate reflection unless you're, that story is actually being told from someone who was there. No, and that's true as well. I mean, you have that. I mean, know, the, what, six seventy years since the fifties. Right. So exactly, exactly. So you know, you would have to you would have to have someone, um, you know, who who lived through it or was, you know, say the age of the character Horace at the time. Right. You know, he would, you know, and to to present it authentically. Um. So you might be able to you know say that it's a view and it's it's a very textbook view yes it's and and don't um, get me wrong it is it is sympathetic towards its protagonists and oh yes and um rough tries to be as non-judgmental on both sides mm-hmm. um as he can be um because the, the villain of this piece um doesn't come across as you know i'm doing this because you're black even though he right. is, but it's, it's not out of malice. It's, you have to kind of read the book, but uh, he's like, he's very like wolf in sheep's clothing kind of mm. character where he, uh, he says he, he respects the, the characters and uh, he actually does some positive things for them, but it's all for the wrong reasons. Right. And ultimately his motivation is, is, not um, magnanimous at all. It's completely, he thinks he can use these guys 
to to further his own agenda. Well, if you if you really sit down and think about it, the the book is about Caleb Braithwaite. Right. I mean, he, but he's he definitely is the, the yeah, he's the central character, and and all of the yeah. other characters that are presented to us as the main characters and who will most likely be the main characters of the show really are kind of just like caught up in his wake and they're just kind of pulled along. Well, it's more like his, his web. Right. Right. He's, he's, it's a web of intrigue. Um, yeah. The, the book, the novel itself is outlined more as a series of episodes. Uh, it says in the, in the in an interview in the back of the book that it was originally conceived of as a pitch for a television series. Right. And um, it definitely reads that way. And it definitely reads that way with, with an overarching uh, wow. narrative. Hey, you're right, Rodney. A, me- a meta-narrative? Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, kind of like, well, an overarching narrative a ser- a, a, and a then a series plot. of episodes. Right. There's a season plot that uh right. there's compared there's to an like, A plot and a B plot and a and a C plot going on. Right. Compared to like a CW superhero show, it's structured very similarly. Yes. Where um, you have you have an episode that has its own plot and its own action, but it's connected to the rest of them by this overarching plot. Right. That that gets touched upon um in various places during the individual chapters. Right. Various strands of the web, as it were. Right. But it gets tied up really nice at the end. No, it does. There's a couple of loose ends, but it, it all makes sense. Yeah. And and it's it's very I think what bothers me, and it's not a huge bother. Mm-hmm. Is had like I said before, is very neutral in tone. There's no judgmental, no judging at all in in any of the the writing. Everything's very matter of fact. Correct. And uh, that I would have kind of almost liked it to have been a little bit more um, emotionally um, invested in the protagonist's point of view, mm-hmm. or the you know the the point of view of whoever was narrating narrating that particular chapter right or the main character I would have liked, of that chapter yeah i would have liked to have a little bit more emotional investment in it mm-hmm. um you know speaking of the individual chapters and, and the emotional investment and, and character development um i would think some writers would have taken each of these uh individual chapters and could have developed an entire novel around each chapter well, the first chapter is definitely um, long enough to be a novella. Mm-hmm. Well, like 110 pages long. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But then you have um, the second chapter is a little bit shorter and more direct and to the point. Right. Um, and then particularly the one the one chapter is the, the Jekyll and Hyde analog that, that, right. that Ruff created here. Uh, you could you could have spun that out into an entire novel itself. Um, it features a character Ruby, who is a minor character in the second chapter, right. and then she's brought forth as being the star of of this particular vignette. And you know, it's like okay, 
things are, you know, not to spoil the book because because we want you guys, you know, who are listening to the show to go out and buy the book. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a good book. It's it's right. definitely worth reading. But I've read it twice. We have a character who there's, you know, we don't we don't have an emotional investment in this character. She was, you know, she was mentioned a couple times in the first chapter. You know, she shows up in the second chapter and Ruff kind of writes her out early on. So by the time we get to this this chapter that features her as the central character, we we're getting to know her sort of as the rest of the plot un, unveils itself. You know, all of and the chapters. There's just not a lot of investment. Go ahead. But the, with the exception of Atticus, Montrose, mm-hmm. and George, right? Um, uh, all the all the characters are set up that way. Even Latricia, um, in in the first chapter, Latricia is like this badass, you know, kind of uh, ninja-ish character. She she goes off, she disappears, and things blow up. You know who she, you know who she reminds me of. Um, I can't remember the character's name on Preacher. The the. Um, Tulip? Yeah, Tulip. She reminds me of Tulip. And in fact, as I'm reading Letitia, I'm imagining the actress that plays Tulip in that role. Because, you know, yeah, Letitia herself is, yeah, she's just kind of this um, archetype that comes in. I mean, you don't really know much about her. You know, she she does A, she does B, she does C. Even Atticus himself is kind of an archetype you know he's a large stoic man and really the only characters that you see in the book are George and Montrose because they are the you know they're the paternal figures of the story and they are um you know you get into their history it's you know and the 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 mother hippolyta you know, I mean, she gets her own chapter, but you know, she you don't really herself get is an archetype, you know, right? Well, you know, she likes. You find out she likes astronomy, um, mm-hmm. space opera, right? And travel, and and, and travel, and, and guess what? She gets to do. She gets to travel to another planet, which right? You know, it, it's very well crafted like that. Like a, a, all, all of the all of these archetypal characters, you find out a little bit about their background and then the, the whatever happens to them is tailored to fit that background. Right. Which, which that's one and, of the reasons that makes this kind of a love letter to pulp as right. we were talking which about is in the a, beginning. It's definitely a very like pulp kind of um, thing to do. And so, and granted some of it is definitely part of the web of of Caleb, right? Who um, himself is, is is an archetype. Oh yeah, uh, I mean, we know, were talking about this. He's Mephistopheles or yeah, Alistair he's, Crowley, right? He's Mephistopheles. He's Al- Alistair Crowley. He's uh, Nyarlathotep. Yep, that and word, not the other. Not, right, right. No, but and. Sadly, it, it's it's George Montrose and Caleb Braithwaite who are the interesting characters of the book, 
And those three characters are actually the the ones that have the most interaction with each other. Yeah, Atticus, Atticus kind of, you know, even though he's framed as being the central character and he is kind of a central character to Caleb's web. Um, he doesn't really have that much like, quote unquote, screen time with Caleb. No, he, he does in his in. In his story, the first one. Really, and then maybe the last story. Mm-hmm. But even then, you know, he's he doesn't have he's that much prop. screen time with him. I mean, he's really a prop in that last story. Right. Um, but then you have, there's there's one particular chapter where it's George and Montrose and all of their buddies from the Freemasons Hall on a heist. And an that is, that is, do what? Uh, yeah, an interdimensional <laughs> heist. And I have to say that, that one is one other than like the the master plan at the end of the book which itself is has a caper feel oh yeah the heist definitely. the interdimensional heist oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah is my favorite my favorite chapter you almost want to hear michael weston um, narrating over the background when you're a spy and you have to infiltrate the enemy's lodge the art of infiltration <laughs> It's much easier when you have a serum that can transform you into someone else. Yeah, so, I mean, all all kidding aside, I like that kind of thing, though. And you know what? That is the kind of thing that that drives good television. That's true. That's true. It it drives good television. And the way the web of intrigue works out well, the way the the characters, even though they're archetypal – and 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 they they harken back to that pulp tradition and the the caper aspect of the story makes it a little bit easier to kind of gloss over the the problematic element of this is all white writer writing from essentially textbook knowledge right and, and, it and it's and it's no and it's no slight to rough. No, he, he says in the book he's not being malicious about it. He, um, you know, he went to college in New England, and um, to you know the naked eye, New England seems like you know it's liberal. Um, people vote for Clinton here for the most part, and and it seems like New England would be a nice place to live. But you you just dig a little deeper, and New England's like just like anybody anywhere else, maybe even a little shittier because it's it's not it, as apparent. But you go to Boston; it's like hugely segregated. It is Lovecraft country. Yeah, it it, it is, and uh, so he went to school up here, and one of his friends who was who was black pointed out to him. These facts. This is in the back of the the book as well, and so he basically, you know, started looking for it, right? And and you know, when you start looking for stuff, especially stuff that is, um, unspoken but obvious, you start to to find it, right? So now, how do you think this book? How do you think this book, uh, would be received? But well. We know how it was received by at least one Lovecraft fan. 
Yeah. See, now Lovecraft fans are fucking idiots because if you go if <laughs> if you go near their sacred <laughs> cow, the claws come out. I'm sorry, man, but that's what happens. Yeah. If you don't like it, go look in the mirror and tell me you don't do this because I fucking do it. <laughs> All right, I'm an idiot too. Um, yeah, you go near their sacred cow, and it could be the racism cow. It could be the the new weird cow. Whatever cow you're going near, the claws come out, and it gets vicious. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have the purists who will look at this as an affront to Lovecraft because you know why? Oh, why you always got to be talking about the racism? Well, well, even then, you know, yeah, it's got his name on the cover, and he's mentioned briefly in the first chapter with a really interesting quote um, that you've used well, a couple of times. But other than that, you know, Lovecraft no, is not a big part of this book. No, and and in the same sentence where Lovecraft is mentioned, he is singled out. Um, but you have Bradbury's in there and Burroughs is in there. Mm-hmm. Burroughs, Burroughs, actually fact, gets Burroughs gets more more kudos in this book than Lovecraft does. Mm-hmm. Edgar Rice, not William S. Um, yeah, so really, it, I think it's probably called Lovecraft Country because a the first story takes place in Ardham in New England, mm-hmm. which Massachusetts is traditionally Lovecraft. Yeah, which is traditionally Lovecraft Country. Mm-hmm. Um. Second, because Lovecraft sells, man. Well, the the first chapter, the the you know that's that's really kind of the story of Lovecraft Country, is very much a Lovecraft kind of story. Yeah, it, it totally is. But you know, the second story, even though it, it's with a with title. with a major trope inverted. Yeah, well, and that's the whole thing. Every one of these is um, a typical whatever story with a major trope inverted. Like the second story is a haunted house story. Straight up Shirley Jackson haunted house story with a major trope inverted. The the third story was, uh, which one was, that was the the caper story, right? Mm, I believe so. Yes. And you know, there you go. There's your, your capers. Pulp Caper story. It's Ocean's Eleven with a major trope inverted. Mm-hmm. You're so, that, that, I mean, that's <laughs> it's common. That That's the common theme from, you know, if you're going to look at themes between all of these stories is, you know, they have the, that love letter to pulp aspect, but it's also kind of like um, let's, let's fuck with it a little. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that, that upsets people. It's the same thing that upset people with, a uh, Ballad of Black Tom. Right. Speaking of Ballad of Black Before, Tom, um, in Ruff's recommended readings list in the back of the Lovecraft country, Ballad of Black Tom is right there on top. Yeah. And, you know, we read Ballad of Black Tom. It's a fantastic book. Oh yeah. And oh, yeah. people got upset with it because it, it, you know, it dared to question some of the assumptions you make about Lovecraft. 
Mm-hmm. And this this goes a little bit further. It dares to question the assumptions you're going to make about a lot of Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. And, you know, go, go back and reread the stuff because it's not pretty. I mean, there is like, there there is a lot of racism in Pulp Fiction and a lot of sexism in Pulp Fiction. And Ruff tries to address this. Uh, and he's not trying to modernize it. He's He really, he points it out. Um, he doesn't correct for it, but he does um, write his protagonists uh, more like people than mm-hmm. objects. Right. Which is always a plus. Which is, always upsets people. <laughs> for some well, reason, you know, absolutely. having, having, having uh, women and, and people of color who make semi-rational decisions that aren't necessarily plot driven mm-hmm. <laughs> or sacrificing themselves for the true hero of the story. Um, then people get upset. Right. And I think on, on the other side of the coin, um, you're going to get people who are going to get upset because it is a successful book um, of weird fiction that isn't, uh, is, is, isn't written by someone who quote unquote paid his dues. Mm-hmm. That seems to upset people as well. When when you have like um, shows like True Detective, the first season of True Detective, pissed people off because who is this guy? And right. everybody, you know, he wrote this thing. It was immensely popular, and you know, you definitely have a lot of the sour grape effect happening, especially in like something insular like weird fiction, mm-hmm. which will probably only increase once the the television series starts happening. Oh yeah, I can't wait for that. That's going to be, it's going to be funny because, you know, I, I, this is just a prediction. You're going to get a lot of people and a lot of these guys who are in the new weird lean left. You're going to get cognitive dissonance between a show um, about and produced by, you know, African-Americans by somebody, you know, who didn't pay his dues it's it's going to be interesting to to see where where people land on that. I don't know. I don't. You know. I would say. I would say the the plot of Get Out is probably right up there with a lot of the classics of weird fiction, science fiction, and all and and that pulp tradition. Not necessarily, you know, the the current trend in horror, but more toward that. And and I would say that you know that being your first. You know, solo outing, um, and it getting so much critical acclaim. I would say, I would say Jordan Peele has paid some weird fiction dudes. Oh, I was talking about, I was talking about Matt Ruff. Oh, Matt Ruff. Well, I mean, you know, what are the dues? I don't know what the dues are. I mean, sometimes the dues are, you know. Are I mean, you, 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 haven't, you haven't toiled away for for small press, yeah, anthologies and whatnot for thirty years. I mean, well, you know, what a, are the dudes? Is that the pay? main complaint about um, True Detective? Was, I don't know what the, the who is this guy? How did, how dare he have a show that infringe upon our Ballywick? You know, how dare he mention the Yellow King and make it something that isn't what you expect it to be? Right. Because remember, people people were right with it up until the end when it turned out to be mundane instead of supernatural, and then they all felt crestfallen. Mm-hmm. You know, 
but it didn't bother me. I mean, I don't know if it bothered you, but that that didn't I, I didn't me. I didn't watch I didn't watch it because you know. Uh, circle, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> Come on, life is shit, man. Life is just shit. And then, and then you just, you eat some, and and you and you have to like it. All right, all right, all right. Yeah. Now this. Yeah, I me personally, you know the 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 whole a lot of the emphasis on true detective was was Russ Cole's nihilism and nihilism is not a philosophy I can get behind. Uh, I'll, I'll give you that, but um, you know it is. I mean, there was there was also the isn't that kind of like part of the definition is you have to at least give lip service to it. Well, yeah, you, you you know, cosmicism and cosmicism, blah blah blah. Fuck cosmicism. But, but I mean, that's I mean, for a lot. There, of guys, we've both we've both that, thrown our hand grenades now. Saying that is gonna is tantamount to shitting where you eat. <laughs> How dare you write stuff that you don't actually believe in? I have never written anything that was that was nihilistic. Neither of my neither of my published stories have been nihilistic. I've read unpublished stories. I've written some nihilistic stuff. Yes, <laughs> but but you don't believe it. You're allowed to not believe it. That's right. You're you're allowed to you're allowed to say things, and 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 as a writer, you're allowed to explore avenues that you may not have you know you may not have tread the avenues of weird fiction in the dark and forbidding paths through the intimidating forests uh, of weird fiction you know for as long as a lot of other people have but you can still give it a shot yeah i mean mean, it's so so much of weird fiction is you know, classic pulp tradition, and what's what's wrong with that? You know, is coming out with a Nothing. with a pulp novel. Nothing. I'm. I just think that people get a little territorial over it. Is all. Oh, oh, absolutely, absolutely. Well, but, maybe a little. But you know, anybody anybody who's who, who looks at Lovecraft Country and they get territorial or they get a little huffy. Because, you know, Lovecraft's racism is brought up and Lovecraft is, you know, looked at and really kind of both in a positive and a negative way. Yeah, I mean, um, he, he, you know, and if you get your if you get your panties in a bunch over it, then, you know. Matt Ruff is going to laugh all the way to the bank. Who who cares who brings it to someone's attention as long as as long as. You know, it reaches this kind of audience and it. it you know, it go it gets out there, it catches the attention of of Abrams and Peel and HBO, and they want to make yeah. it into a series, and they're exposing, you know, an even broader audience to this this new pulp and new weird tradition that people are gonna you know who wouldn't be exposed to it. Like for example, you know, you and I had mentioned uh, when discussing that that negative review that came out have even known about this book really I, uh, no I wouldn't have I unless wouldn't. you know without it, people talking about the television series it would have been so off my radar it wouldn't have even been funny 
Right. And, you know, and I'm, I'm glad we actually caught it on our radar. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if it brings a new audience in, the, the works of people who have, quote unquote, paid their dues, what's the big deal? I mean, what, you know, what, what, what are you getting upset over? Yeah, I mean, re- really being territorial over a finite body of work. Because Lovecraft's dead, and his body of work is finite. It's over. And I don't care how many time fragments that somebody finds and reworks, like Durlith or whatever. It's a finite body of work. You can, you can read it all, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Why would you get territorial? Uh, you, can, you can read it all in a, probably about a week and a half. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, yeah, it's not a huge amount of work either. Mm-hmm. And, and the same, the same goes with Robert E. Howard. The same goes for Clark Ashton Smith, and 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 so many other writers. Like you say, a finite body of work. It only goes on, but you have other folks who have taken up the torch and and continued the that that tradition, whether thematically or with characters. And yes, they have evolved. And, I mean, you, you know, know it had to have evolved. Or else we would not have an excellent book like Laval's Ballad of Black Tom. No. We wouldn't have Lovecraft Country being made into a television series. No, not at all. I mean, let's face it. When Lovecraft was actually writing, who read it? Robert E. Howard read it. That's about it. Robert E. Howard, kids kids who paid their nickel or whatever. For yeah, weird I mean, it tales. wasn't like hugely popular. Yeah. And I wonder if, if the, the fact that uh, Lovecraft... And weird fiction in general is now a little bit more popular, well, a lot more popular than it has ever been. Um, kind of hits that note too of anything that is going to be pop culture and related to Lovecraft is frowned upon. You know, you're, you're you look at the the Cthulhu plushies with disdain. Mm-hmm. Not you, but people in general. Right. And, right. You know, and and. People get territorial because, you know, their beloved cosmic horror or whatever is being, you know, being equated to the to something you can get in the fucking cereal box. Right. And we we've we sidetracked ourselves so we wouldn't end up spoiling any of the book. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We actually did a pretty good job of not spoiling this book. <laughs> that's right. I mean, okay, so so kind of to kind of to wrap up and to reiterate. Lovecraft Country is is a love letter to Pulp Fiction. Um, it's it works well. It's it's a very quick read. Uh, it's paced well enough. You know that I think I read it in like two three days. Yeah, it's it's not not that not that difficult to read. Less adjectives than Lovecraft. Yeah. Maybe that's right. What's pissing well, it's off. it's not it's not necessarily that, that you know it's challenging to read. I mean, you know, it's not everything doesn't have to be fucking uh, Ulysses. It's well crafted. Yes. It's well plotted, well well crafted. And it feels somewhat realistic. Yeah, it gives you it it gives you that uh, truthiness I guess Mm -hmm. is the the right word of the 50s. Right, it's not nostalgic at all. It's it's definitely a lot more bleaker than nostalgia, but also because it comes from a perspective that you normally don't have. 
And so I would, uh, yeah, I'd say go out. Yeah, uh, go out and pick this up. And with that, we'll say good night, Gracie. Night, Gracie.